the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to be back in studio after spending some time in Maryland and Washington, D.C. for the Restored Hope Network conference, which, by the way, was superb. The weather, hot, muggy, East Coast, glad to be back home. Although I understand we had some pretty hot, muggy weather and some storms while I was away. Anyway, it's glad to, I'm glad to be back. Got a, uh, quite a lineup here today. There's so much that has gone on over the last several days. We're not going to be able to cover most of it, but we will cover as much as we can. Uh, we're going to talk with Hans von Spakovsky in our next segment. He's an authority on a wide range of issues, including civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, and immigration. He's the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about Congress's latest effort to fix the broken immigration system. We're also going to talk with the pastor Samuel Rodriguez. His latest book is Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. And if you have any one of those three, you'll want to listen up. In the five o'clock hour, we're going to find out what the Russian Protestant Church is doing during these um, uh, these soccer games that are the most popular sporting event. It, it outpaces the uh, Olympics in terms of interest in much of the world. We're going to talk about what the Russian church is doing, despite the fact that they are prohibited by their own government from proselytizing in any way. You cannot pray out loud and be heard by others. Uh, there's much that you cannot do. And yet they have found a way uh, to use this event as an opportunity to share the gospel with their neighbors. So we'll talk with him about that. Sergey Rakuba, who is the president of Mission Eurasia. We're also going to talk with Andrew Moylan. He is the executive vice president of National Taxpayers Union Foundation. There are two days left for the Supreme Court to announce their decisions on landmark cases. And one of them happens to be South Dakota versus Wayfair. It's a case you may not have been following, but we'll bring you up to date. And it has the, imp- the potential, rather, to impact online businesses rather negatively, and we'll explain why that is. Again, Thursday and Monday, the last two opportunities for the court to say yay or nay on pending cases. And finally, we'll get an update from Jeff Jimerson with Oregon Life United. The state funding of abortion is the issue that they are trying to place on the ballot. In other words, stop state funding of abortion. You have until the 30th of June to get those petitions in the mail. And uh, we'll talk about what the goal is, where we stand, and what you need to do to be a part of uh, this effort to put the question on the ballot here in the state of Oregon. Well, President Trump today signed an executive order to allow children to stay with parents caught crossing the border illegally, moving to stop the family separations that have triggered a national outcry and political crisis for Republicans. It has been exploited to the hilt and reason does not seem to prevail in terms of explaining the policy. And I'm not suggesting that it's a good idea to separate children from parents, but uh, some of the references that have been made have been so outrageous. It really undermines any possibility of reasoned a conversation about policy that could resolve the larger issues surrounding uh, that particular practice. The measure would allow children to stay in detention with parents for an extended period of time in violation of um, U.S. statute. This comes as congressional Republicans scramble to draft legislation to address the same issue, but face challenges mustering the votes. We're going to talk with um, Hans von Spakovsky about the two Republican versions of that effort, as well as the Democrat version. When he joins us in our next uh, segment, the president previewing the measure earlier in the day during a meeting with lawmakers said the move would be matched by legislation. He also said he's canceling the upcoming congressional picnic, which was supposed to take place tomorrow night, adding it didn't feel exactly right to me. Well, sources say that the executive action by Trump 
um, could be seen as a uh, to rather run afoul of the 1997 order and would likely draw a lawsuit, which uh, those who demanded the president do something with his pen, having done it or now threatening lawsuit. But the White House wants to try to take steps to uphold the enforcement of the law while at the same time lessening the trauma of children being separated from their parents. If, in fact, they are with their parents. Another issue that they're dealing with is trying to determine who parents are and who adults that may exploit them for sex trafficking. So it's a much more complicated issue than first glance and headlines might suggest. But these measures are being pursued following days of escalating calls for both sides of the political aisle. Uh, The divide, really, for the president or Congress to end the controversial family separation policy, which, by the way, Congress uh, allowed through statute. Uh, but has taken no responsibility for. Representative Peter King of uh, New York became the latest Republican to join that chorus today when he called on the president to suspend the family separation policy if House immigration legislation does not pass. Speaking on Fox News America's newsroom, uh, King said that while he agrees with the president's goal in regards to immigration, the current policy of separating migrant children from their parents charged with entering the country illegally is really terrible for families. Republicans in both the House and the Senate are struggling to shield the party's lawmakers from the public outcry over the images of children taken from migrant parents and held in cages at the border. Well, they're in closed rooms with a chain link fence. I'm not sure that quite constitutes a, a cage, but nonetheless, uh, the images are disturbing. Uh, they're running up against Trump's shifting views on specifics and his determination, according to advisors, not to look soft on his signature immigration issue, the border wall. The Democrats do not have a strong policy, King said again in his interview. But at the same time, we are playing into their hands by allowing this to happen. House Speaker Paul Ryan said that the House will vote Thursday on legislation to allow families to remain together in Homeland Security custody throughout their legal Proceedings, And again, we'll talk more about all of that in just a few moments. And other developing news, um, anti-Trump agent Peter Stroke was uh, reportedly escorted from the FBI building. His attorney told uh, news reporters, as some critics wonder, why he was uh, hadn't been fired over the politically biased texts, which were much worse than we originally thought based on the few that had been released. And Democrats heckled the president on Capitol Hill as the debate over his immigration policies reached a boiling point. Several governors pulled their state's National Guard troops from the U.S.-Mexico border in protest of the president's zero-tolerance immigration policy. And the U.S. plans to withdraw from the U.N. Human Rights Council, which U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley calls a protector of human rights abusers. In fact, the um, council is led by some of the world's worst human rights abusers. And after more than a century, General Electric will leave the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the result of a long stock decline for the one-time industry giant. And by the way, Elvis Presley's $100 million fortune is gone due to poor investments, according to his daughter, Lisa Marie, claiming in a lawsuit. She's claiming that his uh, funds have been mishandled by those charged with uh, managing them. Well, as I mentioned, Peter Stroke, the FBI agent under fire over a series of anti-Trump text messages, was escorted from the FBI building, according to his lawyer. Stroke's lawyer, uh, Etienne Goldman, argued that even though his client has played by the rules, he has been targeted by unfounded personal attacks, political games and inappropriate information leaks, end quote. All of this seriously calls into question the impartiality of the disciplinary process, which now appears tainted by political influence, the statement from Goldman went on to stay. Well, Stroke is still employed by the FBI. News of his removal came after Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz confirmed during a congressional hearing earlier on Tuesday that his office was looking into whether Stroke's anti-Trump bias played a role in the launch of the Bureau's Russian probe. Mark Thiessen points out that the overlooked uh, bombshell in the IG report might answer that question. There's a fight over immigration, and it's gotten heated on Capitol Hill. There are three uh, possible pieces of legislation that are supposed to address it. We'll find out what the two competing Republican uh, efforts uh, have to say, as well as a third by the Democrats, when we are joined in just a few moments by Hans von Spakovsky, an authority on a wide range of issues, including immigration, as the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Congress is engaged in another effort to fix the broken immigration system, but is it enough? The new Ryan amnesty compromise, it weakens the good lot bill by removing most anti-sanctuary city provisions, but both of them together don't quite go far enough either, it would appear. And then there is a Democrat version as well. You throw into that mix the fact that the president has signed an executive order to stop family separation at the border. What difference will all of this make and what impact will it have? Well, joining us is Hans von Spakovsky. He is an authority on a wide range of issues, including immigration. He's also manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Sure, George. It's great to talk to you again. Well, a lot has happened in a short period of time. First of all, can I ask you to comment on the president's executive order and what impact this is likely to have, if any, on efforts in Congress to try to fix the immigration system? Sure. The, the one thing I think people need to understand is that uh, Donald Trump's being blamed for um, uh, juvenile aliens being separated from their parents when they come into the country illegally. But uh, he's not actually to blame for this. If you can believe it, it's actually the fault of the Clinton administration. Uh, because in the, back in 1997, to settle a lawsuit, the Clinton administration agreed that they would not hold juvenile aliens more than 20 days. And that settlement agreement was approved by a court out in California. So, you know, right now, when the Trump administration is actually uh, arresting and detaining illegal aliens who are are coming into the country unlawfully, they're being forced by this prior uh, agreement to separate the kids. They can't keep the entire family detained. So, uh, you know, he's get Trump's getting the blame for this and he shouldn't. What this executive order today says is it directs Department of Homeland Security to as much as possible, keep families together to the extent they're allowed to under the law. And, of course, the problem is this court decision. Now, now he also orders the attorney general to go to the judge in that California court to ask him to basically modify the agreement so they can keep families together. So he's doing what he can to prevent the problem, but it's not it's not his fault. Well, let's talk about uh, efforts in Congress now, who ultimately is responsible for this issue, to try to fix the broken immigration system. There are two versions of uh, legislation in the uh, in the uh, uh, the Republican side, the Goodlot version and the Ryan um, version. Can you explain the two of them uh, and why, f- at least from my perspective, they don't seem to go quite far enough? Well, they don't, particularly not the Ryan bill, which everybody's referring to as, as the, the compromise bill. Um, the, the Ryan bill would, in essence, provide amnesty and a path to citizenship for between 1.8 million and 2.4 million illegal aliens. And, of course, the problem with that is that uh, that is going to uh, attract even more illegal aliens in the country. How do we know that? Because that's what happened in 1986. In 1986, we provided amnesty actually for a number fairly close to that, 2.7 million uh, illegal aliens. And within 10 years, we had almost 6 million new illegal aliens in it. Um, The other problem with it is it only slightly modifies uh, family-based chain migration, uh, it, it it would allow the parents, for example, of DACA beneficiaries to eventually get amnesty and citizenship. So in other words, the, the people who are responsible for breaking our immigration laws and bringing their kids here, they're going to benefit from it by, by getting citizenship. That is not the way to solve the problems. Also, uh, there's no defunding of sanctuary cities, which helps attract uh, more illegal aliens. And uh, there's nothing in there to make the e-verify system mandatory. I mean, that's really required to stop employers from hiring illegal aliens. If, if we did that, if employers quit doing that, then the economic incentive, which drives the vast majority of, of people to come here illegally, would disappear. And what about border security? Do either the uh, Goodlot or the uh, Ryan version of immigration reform deal with that? Well, yes, but uh, 
it's only if you trust um, that Congress will follow through. You know, the the bills do provide funding for border security, but they don't do it all in one lump sum this year. You know, they basically say, well, we'll we'll give a certain amount um, over the next couple of years. Well, you know, that's that kind of a promise uh, is is unenforceable. You know, Congress can come back uh, six months from now and say, well, we're not going to appropriate the money. So, again, I, I, I don't really trust that uh, that this bill will do what we need to do to uh, uh, provide the funding to enforce the border, to uh, uh, close all kinds of different loopholes that we need to close in order to get this problem under control. Well, the Democrats have a version of their own. It's um, certainly much more uh, liberal when it comes to addressing the issue of, of uh, immigration reform. What do the Democrats want to propose? Well, they certainly don't want uh, increased border security, and they, in essence, want an, an, a, a, as big of an amnesty as they can get. They don't want to do anything to prevent uh, the kind of chain migration um, that brings in huge numbers of people. So, I, I mean, it, what the Democratic bill would do is is just give us more of the same of what we've already got and it actually make the problem even worse. So is there any real seriousness about dealing with the issues that brought us to this point in the first place? I don't I don't think so. I, I don't think that um, I don't think that this these bills uh, really take the steps necessary to solve the uh, illegal immigration problem. And they certainly don't do anything to try to improve the legal immigration issue. You know, one of the biggest problems we have is while while we take in a lot of legal immigrants a year, actually more than any other country, the the amount of time it takes for somebody to legally immigrate to become a citizen just keeps getting longer and longer because so many resources uh, at the Department of Homeland Security are being diverted to try, try to fix the problem with illegal immigration. Well, there's been quite a bit of attention uh, paid to um, this issue, particularly of separating children from their parents. Right. Uh, the suggestion was the president could, you know, with just his words or with a pen could put it into it. He's now done that, at least temporarily. And uh, there's a lawsuit uh, that we're we're heard uh, we're hearing is going to be filed. What has been accomplished uh, in dealing with the larger issues that most of us out in the rest of the country recognize as um, being at the, the heart of the problem? Well, the heart of the, the, heart of the problem is, and what, what, what all these folks are complaining about, is that the fact that Donald Trump is enforcing the law. I mean, what causes um, the, the problem of kids having to be separated is that, is that they're finally enforcing the law against um, uh, illegal aliens coming into the country illegally. You know, the, the new policy the Justice Department is, if you come to the country illegally, we're going to prosecute you. And that didn't happen during the Obama administration, which is one of the reasons we had the number of families coming across the border jumped exponentially, because uh, illegal aliens saw that if you brought a child with you, that was essentially a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, the administration wouldn't prosecute you. They would simply um, bring you into the country, give you a court date with the immigration judge, and then release you. And the, the vast majority of those illegal aliens never showed up for their, for their hearing date. So the, the problems we have today, or, the, or what people think are problems, is, is simply because the president is actually trying to uh, enforce the law. But by the way, Georgie, one thing I think everybody should keep in mind is that, um, look, if you're an American citizen, and you're arrested by the police for committing a crime, and you're prosecuted and convicted, um, the fact that you may have children isn't going to keep you out of jail. You know, we, we don't um, uh, forbear from prosecuting people who engage in burglary or robbery or other crimes just because they have children. So it's, it's a little bit ironic that people are making such a big deal about the fact that, uh, or saying that we shouldn't prosecute uh, aliens who come here illegally. Uh, in 2016, according to figures from uh, Health and Human Services, uh, 20,000 American children 
were put in foster care because their parents were incarcerated. Yeah, for that and very that, reason. No, no, nobody's been complaining about that. Well, selective outrage before midterm elections is not uh, anything new, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, is, thank you. That's true. <laughs> thank you so much for talking with us. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Again, Hans von Spakovsky uh, is an authority on a wide range of issues, including immigration, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Up next, we're going to talk with Pastor Samuel Rodriguez. His book is titled Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We are working on reaching my guest. Uh, that is Samuel Rodriguez. His book is titled Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. He is president of the uh, National Hispanic uh, Organization, an international organization with more than 40,000 U.S.-based evangelical churches and additional chapters around the world. He's a sought-after uh, voice uh, among media and government leaders. And in 2017, he became the first Hispanic evangelical pastor to offer a prayer at a U.S. presidential inauguration. He has advised several U.S. presidents and frequently is uh, quoted or appears on prominent media as well. His latest book deals with how to navigate difficult seasons in life, and he draws on the example of the Apostle Paul, who was, well, shipwrecked. Um, he was bitten by a snake, and he endured a storm. Anyway, the book is titled Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. How are we doing, James? Are we? Uh, have you reached anyone? He's not. Okay, he has not. Well, I'm going to resume going through a list of uh, things that um, I hadn't had the chance to get to earlier today. Uh, I wanted to mention that a group of governors banded together to protest the president's zero-tolerance immigration policy as the uproar over the separation of migrant children from their parents at the border continued. Now, whether or not that will change once the pre- since the president rather has now signed an executive order, um, some of these uh, mayors are withdrawing National Guard troops from the U.S.-Mexico border, while others are pledging to withhold resources. In April, the president requested National Guard troops, you might recall, around two to 4,000 uh, to be deployed at the southern border. Arizona, California, New Mexico, Texas, and Missouri were among the first states to agree to the president's request. At the time, they were... Um, Governors from those surrounding states praised the president for his commitment toward protecting the border. Some, however, both Republican and Democrat, have since changed their positions after Attorney General Sessions ordered zero tolerance in April, which has resulted in the separation of children from their families within a six-week period. Uh, The uh, Trump administration announced on Tuesday it was withdrawing from the U.S. or rather was withdrawing the U.S. from the United Nations Human Rights Council with U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley calling the 47 member council a protector of human rights abusers and a cesspool of political bias. She noted the move came after a year where we did not see any progress. She threatened the pullout last year, citing longstanding U.S. complaints that the council showed a chronic bias against Israel, calling it an an organization rather that is not worthy of its name. She decried the membership of countries like China, Cuba and Venezuela, which also have been slammed for human rights violations. The announcement, though, also came just a day after the U.N. Human Rights Rights chief denounced the Trump administration for separating migrant children from their parents. Now, you might recall under the Bush administration, we withdrew from this uh, council, the the United Nations Human Rights Council. Uh, Barack Obama uh, rejoined. And now uh, under the Trump administration, we have moved away from that council. I understand we have our guests, so we want to move forward uh, with our conversation. Well, in the book, Shake Free, my guest, uh, Sam Rodriguez, uses one of the more detailed accounts in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's incredible sea journey that ended in a shipwreck to reveal how anyone caught up in a life journey that appears headed to catastrophe might find a way to safety and growth. Paul shook off the viper that threatened his life. Uh, we, through, through the power of the Spirit, can shake off the problems and challenges that are keeping us from true freedom in Christ. Well, the book is titled Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Our Life. And it's a fresh call to shake off problems and disasters in life and move forward to a new health and wholeness. Once again, my guest is uh, Samuel Rodriguez. He is a pastor uh, and a uh, leader. He is, and I'm, I'm looking for the... Yes, he is the uh, president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership 
conference and uh, international organization with over 40,000 U.S.-based evangelical churches and additional chapters all around the world. He's a sought-after voice among media and government leaders and in 2017 became the first Hispanic evangelical pastor to offer a prayer at a U.S. presidential inauguration. He has advised uh, several U.S. presidents, is frequently quoted or appears on prominent media, and in 2013 he was nominated by Time magazine to the list of 100 of the most influential people in the world. He earned his master's degree in educational leadership at Lehigh University and is the author of The Lamb's Agenda and the bestseller Be Light. He serves as senior pastor of New Season Church in Sacramento, California, with his wife, Eva, and their children. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This book is based on the experiences that uh, those of us who read the scriptures are familiar with, uh, the the challenge that Paul had in trying to get from where he had been to Rome. And while um, he knew that God had called him to, uh, to eventually make it to Rome, it was by a rather dangerous and circuitous route. Um, how does Paul's story speak to us today as we face challenges unique to the 21st century? The God of the process is the God of the outcome. And if you want to flip it, the God of the outcome is the same God of the process. So we can't create a dichotomy. We can't create this idea that the end has been written. And if you're a Christ follower, we understand what the end looks like. Eternal life with Christ Jesus in you. But if we believe that God is with us at the end, but somehow abandons us throughout the process, that's an anti-biblical belief system. The Apostle Paul went through a process. He went through a storm, a nor'easter, a shipwreck, and then, you know, to top it all off, he had snakes, a snake jump out of the fire, a viper, and attack them. But he overcame each and every one of them because he had a destiny that was outlined in Acts 23.11 that he would reach Rome and disseminate this amazing gospel of salvation through Christ alone. So it speaks to us. How many of us have never been through a storm? Or how many of us have been through a storm? A relational storm, a spiritual mm-hmm. storm, health-related, financial. How many of us have survived loss, a shipwreck? How many of us have survived a loss of a relationship, a loved one, maybe a job, an income revenue stream? And how many of us have had the proverbial snake jump out of the fire for the purpose of poisoning our dream or strangling our destiny? We have all been through what Paul went through at one level or one degree to another. And it's beautiful how Paul held on to the promises of God, and he made it to Rome. And to a great degree, you and I are having this conversation because he held on to that word, and he made it to Rome. Now, we have the benefit of Scripture. We uh, can see the beginning of the story and very quickly read the end of the story. Paul had to live out every one of those events and had to make the choice in every um, every conflict that I will believe what God said, I will move forward, believing that when he called him to go to Rome, that he would actually arrive there and do the ministry that he was it was called to. You and I today, and for, for many of us who perhaps aren't as familiar with Scriptures as we ought to be, we don't have the benefit of having seen the end of the story, and yet we are called to have confidence uh, that God has called us and will fulfill what he has said for us as well. Faith is trusting God when life makes no sense. Hmm. Really. Faith is understanding. This idea that we have to understand why things happen, and I understand it's a human compulsion to understand why, the, the, the quintessential question, the query of why. But faith is not about understanding God. Faith is about trusting God. Mm-hmm. And God is seeking those that trust Him, not necessarily those that understand Him. Having a little static That's our there. Well, you begin the book um, with uh, talking about uh, being on on our way. Um, let's start where you begin with the book, and that's the beginning of the journey that God has called us to, that journey of faithfulness. No, we, we, we all have a role. Every single person in your audience right now has a role, a proverbial role. We each have a purpose. We're not alive by coincidence. We're not alive because our parents didn't have Netflix in their generation to binge on it. We are alive by divine providence for such a time as this. There is purpose for each and every one of us, without a doubt. God ordained purpose. 
We each have a role. God has a destiny for every single human being. And when we accept the grace-filled work of Christ on the cross, when we embrace what Jesus did for us, his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy, then we are on our way to Rome. So we each have purpose. It begins with that understanding. There is a role for each and every one of us. The question is whether or not, when they read the epitaph, when we arrive to the end of this horizontal journey here on this planet, whether or not we actually adhered to God's word, we held on to his promises and made it to our role, or we embraced the life of mediocrity and perpetual survival and never living out God's purpose for our corresponding lives and family. We're talking this afternoon with Pastor Samuel Rodriguez. His book is titled Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. We're going to continue our conversation in a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show about 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. We're continuing our conversation with Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, author of Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. Your second chapter is titled Perception is Not Reality. And I think for many of us, we're somewhat superstitious that if a series of things seem to go wrong, we assume, well, either we must be out of the will of God or that God is angry with us, rather than as as we examine the life of Paul, uh, see how God is at work, even in the midst of those uh, challenging and difficult events. Now, amazing. God ordains Paul to go to Rome. Ironically enough, it's not on a Norwegian cruise line or Royal Caribbean. <laughs> he is literally on a prison ship, a prison ship, mind you. So imagine, he, he's a de facto prisoner going through a process of appealing his conviction on a prison ship. So the optics and the aesthetic do not line up with the pristine mandate of, you're going to Rome to get the gospel message preached. So imagine if Paul would have said, wait a minute, this can't be God's will. There's no way that I am going to Rome on a prison ship as a de facto prisoner. But that's what took place. We have to be careful. If we are in God's will, if if Christ is the center of, of our corresponding lives, and we are adhering to his word, if we're pursuing righteousness, the circumstances do not define it. We are not defined by what surrounds us. We are defined by God's Spirit inside of us. And we are not defined by the hell we go through. We're defined by the heaven we're going to. We have to make sure that we hold on to definition, who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, because perception it's not necessarily reality. Yeah. In your next chapter, it's titled Storm Driven or Destiny Driven. And you make the point that we have a choice to make in terms of how we interpret the events in our life. If we're followers of Jesus and we believe what he says, are we trusting him or are we being uh, blown by every wind and, and doctrine for that matter? If you do the Greek exegete of the passage from Acts 27, it is explicit. It says the following, they lowered their anchor in the midst of the storm because of fear in order to be driven by the storm. Subsequently, the waves batter the ship, and the ship ends up in a shipwreck. Now, they made a a decision, a critical decision, to lower the anchor, to be driven by the storm. Every single human person, whether we admit it or not, we're driven by fear or by faith. We're driven by our past or by our future. We're driven by what others say about it or by what God says about it. So we are all driven human beings. The question is whether or not we will be driven by God's promises or the problems that surround us. And at that moment, the people in the ship that were in command of the ship determined it would be better to be driven by the storm and hence the consequences. Your next chapter is called You Will Make It Even Without Your Ship. Many of us are relying on a structure to to uphold us, to carry us to our final destination. But even when the ship was no longer available, Paul recognized that God had st- was still calling him to go to Rome, that he would get him there, and that uh, that call would be fulfilled. Talk a little bit about this this notion that when the ship is gone, the things that we are relying on, that we can still trust God. Absolutely. One of my favorite chapters, because the expectation would be that they would make it to Rome on that ship. And when God speaks to Paul and says, by the way, the ship you're on will not make it, but you will. I think it's one of those powerful declarations a believer can hear from heaven. 
The delivery mechanism that you currently have or occupy will not make it, but you will. How many people have lost a relationship or an income revenue stream or an idea? That thing that you believe will take you to your place of destiny. All of a sudden, it's gone. The question is, is your destiny jeopardized? Is your purpose gone? The answer is no. Because even about that ship, you will make it. As a Christian, I have discovered that even without the ship, as long as I'm holding on to the captain of the ship, which is Christ Jesus, as long as Christ is my anchor, I will make it. We, we all suffer some sort of shipwreck. It could be an idea. It could be an opportunity. It could be a relationship. Nevertheless, even without that ship, when you are in Christ, you will still make it. Let's talk about how the, the book Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life, how it's structured at the end of each uh, chapter. You offer some practical questions for people to consider, and then a, a prayer. What do you hope your readers will take away from um, spending some time at the end of the chapter, really reflecting on what God's Word has to say and how they're going to respond to, uh, to His call? Yeah, I really wanted to spend a time of reflection and meditation and, and just spending time and, and just asking the Lord, the Holy Spirit, please speak to me regarding this biblical narrative, this biblical passage, and this study that we just endeavored in together. What are you saying to me about shipwrecks? What are you saying about shaking off the snake? What are you saying about the same area the snake attack is the same area that Paul used in order to, God used the call to facilitate healing of the island of Malta? Talk to me. What do you say? So it was deliberate, it was intentional for a moment of reflection, meditation, and careful deliberation. I think for many of us, as we look at the example of Paul and we admire his perseverance, but we don't see that same resolve in our own hearts. What do we need to do, aside from spending more time in God's Word and more time in prayer, uh, resolving to trust God, in order that we too can shake free from those things that would otherwise prevent us from moving forward? Surround yourself with people that will help you shake free. To a great degree, we are what we tolerate. And today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. There are times that great people are filled with amazing destiny but they find themselves in toxic atmospheres or environments. You're surrounded by negativity. You're surrounded by ideas and constructs and behaviors that run counter to God's purpose in your life. So you want to make sure that you do away with the hoarding of ideas, with the baggage of life, with surroundings that run counter to God's purpose. Clean out your atmosphere. Detox your atmosphere. Surround yourself with people that will help you shake free. Well, again, the title of the book is Shake Free, How to Deal with the Storms, Shipwrecks, and Snakes in Your Life. Uh, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez is the author, and it's published by Waterbrook. Thank you so much for talking with us today. I should mention that the foreword is by uh, Brian Houston, a best-selling author and global senior pastor of Hillsong Church um, as well. Thank you so much for talking with us today. So grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, again, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, that um, the pastor is uh, the uh, the president of uh, the largest national Hispanic uh, church association, and we're going to try to get him back on to talk about it. it's the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference uh, to talk about um, the conference as well as the challenges that they face and a perspective on issues that we are currently um, quite exercised about all across the fruited plain. So we'll. We'll work on that in, uh, in the near future. Well, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk with Sergei Rakuba. He is president of Mission Eurasia, formerly Russian Ministries. He's going to join us to talk about what the Protestant Christian Church, which is, in a, is the minority and is oppressed and prevented from evangelism by the government, what they're doing during this um, uh, most magnificent and most popular soccer tournament in the world. Uh, we'll tell you what the church is doing there. And we're also going to talk with Hans von Spakovsky. In fact, we'll share that conversation once again for those who join us in the 5 o'clock hour about what Congress is doing to fix the broken immigration system. There are three things that they're considering. We'll talk with Andrew Moylan. He's the executive vice president of the National Taxpayers Union Foundation. The Supreme Court has two days to make announcements on decisions they have made this Thursday. And then on Monday, we're going to talk about the South Dakota versus Wayfair uh, decision, and we'll get an update from Jeff Jemerson from Oregon Life United. How close are we to putting the question of state funding of abortion on the ballot? You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show. In fact, you're listening to our second hour brought to you in part by Zero Res. Well, when the biggest sporting event in the world, the World Cup, comes to a country with tight restrictions against missionary activity, Russia, ministries, they hope to use the international gathering for evangelism and they've gotten creative at it. There'll be no huge campaign to hand out soccer-themed tracts or testaments from street corners, as Christians did uh, in the Brazil uh, tournament that took place last, um, or four years ago. Russia's 2016 anti-evangelism regulations bar believers from sharing their faith outside of government-sanctioned church buildings. And that applies to the dozen venues hosting World Cup games over the next month. There won't be scores of uh, Christians flying in a, uh, into partner in proselytization uh, efforts either. For several years, the government, with its ties to the Russian Orthodox Church, has shut down foreign missions groups, stopped issuing visas for missions uh, workers, and threatened to deport visitors who violate those restrictions. So since the law requires evangelism to be confined to officially recognized Recognized churches and to be held uh, and to be led rather by Russian nationals, the country's Protestant minority decided that's precisely what they will do. If they can't reach out, they'll get World Cup fans to come to them. Well, here to talk with us about this effort during the World Cup, uh, my guest is Sergei Rukuba. He is president of Mission Eurasia, formerly Russian Ministries, and they're doing something creative in Russia for the World Cup Games. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you so much for having me, Georgia, and I'm so glad Dr. Your listeners bring up to date what's taking place these days in Russia during those uh, uh, games uh, for the World Cup that Russia is hosting these days. Now, before we get into what uh, the Church is doing, which is really exciting, let's talk about the restrictions that Protestant believers mm-hmm. have to, uh, to function under, uh, uh, given what the government has now uh, established as law. Yeah, uh, in 2016, the Russian government, uh, under the pressure and uh, in a cozy relationship with Orthodox Church, they posted this new law that they named it as a Yaravaya package law uh, after the uh, uh, member of the Russian Duma, Russian parliament, that spearheaded this uh, uh, package. And so the mainly, so they just uh, limit all the mission activity in Russia. They called it anti-terrorism law. But all the missionaries and evangelical churches, they gave a new name to it, an anti-missionary law. And uh, unfortunately, due to all these new regulations, the Russian government wants to keep churches inside of their walls. They don't allow them to do any outside of their premises activities that would involve any outreach. And uh, so that's, uh, unfortunately, Russian evangelical church has to operate now under this new regulations that recently posted there. Well, you're absolutely right that they are not permitted to uh, to do any outreach. And yet, uh, during the uh, the World Cup Games, which began last Thursday, uh, churches, Bible-believing churches, are going to invite their neighbors into the church. Explain this, uh, this project uh, to help not only share the gospel, but to put the gospel in the hands of those who take them up on yeah. the offer. And when uh, we learn that we as Mission Eurasia and working with uh, NES and a few other partnering organizations, uh, and in a very close relationship with the Evangelical uh, Church, we learned that the World Cup uh, was coming to Russia. We thought we should take the opportunity and uh, see what still, you know, despite of any regulations, can this uh, restricting regulations for the Evangelical Church still can be done. So, and there's an outreach that involves the registered churches that uh, uh, cannot do much outside, but they use their premises now, inviting these uh, people from their communities uh, to view games, uh, specially designed uh, events uh, uh, in uh, their communities where uh, they will be, I mean, believers from the church will be sharing testimonies, will be sharing the gospel with them. But most important, they will be sharing the printed Word of God. It will be enough that, as already prepared and printed, uh, 600,000 copies of Scripture will be distributed during this outreach events across Russia. And that's what the Church is doing, using the opportunity of the World Cup Games to share the gospel in their nation, 
sharing the gospel in their communities. Now, it may not be fully appreciated by Americans where um, soccer, as we call it, football, as the rest of the world call it, isn't quite as popular as it is elsewhere. But uh, World Cup was estimated to be 26.29 billion people. Um, uh, were 715.1 million people watching the final match, uh, a ninth of the entire population of the planet. So this is a, a very popular event. Most tickets have been sold. So to have the opportunity to watch the, uh, the games um, on a big screen in a venue like a church is a great opportunity that a lot of people uh, are going to, uh, to take you up on. And that's what the church is using the um, using this opportunity in Russia. Not everybody can go and watch these games in those large stadiums, mm-hmm. stadiums that uh, in the major cities where the game, games uh, are scheduled to take place. But uh, uh, soccer is the second most popular, of course, after the ice hockey <laughs> in in Russia. And uh, so the church wants to use the opportunity, and and uh, because of it's so popular, they want to open the doors for the community and invite people to watch these games uh, in a specially designed events. That's where the uh, the kingdom conversation will strike. That's where the young people will be sharing uh, testimonies and stories with them. Will sharing will be sharing the gospel and will be distributing uh, this printed uh, scripture specially designed for uh, uh, different age groups uh, uh, during this event in uh, in their churches. Well, that's just amazing. Now, I understand that there's a, a modern twist on these scriptures that are going to be made available. There's a QR code that's going to connect the users to a New Life app and 70 pages of discipleship materials. I know people are always concerned about follow-up. And so uh, given the fact that you cannot... Um, do what the the government says uh, you you should, and that's to follow up. This gives them an opportunity to take the next steps if they open the scriptures, read them, and have an encounter with Christ. And that's uh, that's uh, exactly you know what what how it's all designed, and uh, every copy of scripture is equipped with a QR code that will take reader to a lot more materials if they download that on their gadgets, and uh, so there is a text. Uh, in each copy of scripture that helps people to make next steps in their uh, in their search for God, you know, in their faith, uh, but also there's uh, information that will help uh, people with their uh, follow up and uh, make connections and build a closer relationship with the local uh, community of uh, believers. So every copy we believe, if it's placed in the hands of people will impact three or five more yes. people. And all together, we believe that about three million people will be impacted with the gospel during this World Cup event in Russia. Oh, that is so innovative and exciting. I know our listeners are going to want to know, how should we pray for this effort as the Church seizes this opportunity to share the gospel in a way that uh, that doesn't violate the law? How can we pray? Yeah, we. I would appreciate your listeners uh, will be praying. So pray for the leaders of the churches that are overseeing this event. Pray for the young people that will be actively organizing and already distributing scripture and sharing their faith. Uh, in uh, I mean, people that come to this viewing event. Pray for the leaders of Russia. But pray for every copy of this scripture that will be placed in the hands of people that so much need hope in Russia today so that each copy will will open the door for new victory in the heart of people that search for the gospel and uh, will make transformational change, not just in individual lives, you know, but overall in the nation of Russia during this next uh, uh, few weeks uh, during the World Cup uh, when this outreach event takes place. Well, this is exciting to uh, to hear about, and I do hope and believe our listeners will be praying for this outreach on the part of the uh, of the Russian churches. Also, if uh, listeners would like more information about your organization, Mission Eurasia, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, and that's the our website, which is missioneurasia.org, missioneurasia.org, and clicking uh, on a few links, you know, that lead to more information to this World Cup outreach. People can read more and learn more how they can get connected, how they can learn and pray more for this. But also, if they uh, like, they can donate to help us to provide 
so much needed literature, scripture for outreach that is taking place in Russia these days. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And God bless you all. God bless you as well. Again, Sergei Rakuba is the president of Mission Eurasia. The goal of this outreach is to reach three million Russians for Christ. Now, while there are goals of another kind being made and the world's eyes are focused on that, the churches in Russia, which makes up a small minority uh, in the country uh, and is uh, functioning under the heavy hand of an oppressive government, they have come up with a creative way to reach out to their neighbors. So do keep them in prayer. Up next, we're going to hear from Hans von Spakovsky. We're going to talk about Congress's latest effort to fix the broken immigration system. Is it enough? That's coming up next here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Supreme Court is set to announce a major decision in South Dakota versus Wayfair that could negatively impact small internet retail businesses all across the country. If South Dakota prevails and Quill versus North Dakota is overturned, a previous Supreme Court decision, states are going to be able to collect taxes from small businesses even if they don't have a physical presence in that state. Uh, increasing the tax power of individual states, expanding the regulatory state, harming economic growth. Well, the National Taxpayers Union Foundation filed an amicus brief in the South Dakota versus Wayfair case, along with four other free market organizations, arguing that the court should maintain limits on state power to regulate further than their borders, and that the uh, National Taxpayers Union Foundation rejects the South Dakota attempt to tax businesses located uh, all over the country. Well, here to talk with us about that is Andrew Moylan. He is the executive vice president of the National Taxpayer Union Foundation. Thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. Of course, my pleasure. You know, a lot of people have been uh, poised to hear decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court, but maybe uh, didn't really follow this one in particular, South Dakota versus Wayfair. There is a precedent that's already been set by the Supreme Court, but that uh, that could be rather tenuous in this case. Can you explain how we got to this uh, this case? Well, you know, you, you mentioned the 1992 precedent, which is Quill versus North Dakota. And basically what has happened ever since then, where... In that case, the Supreme Court said that the only way that a, a business can be forced to collect a state sales tax is if it's present in that state. Ever since then, states and, and other uh, largely big box retailers who have, have seen it in their interest to uh, try to create a competitive advantage for themselves have tried to undermine that at every turn. And so the latest iteration of that was South Dakota, uh, the neighbor to the south there, passing a law granting itself the power to tax businesses all across the country, regardless whether they have any uh, facilities or employees in the state of South Dakota. And that made its way to the Supreme Court. And we're expecting uh, a a very momentous decision for uh, tax power over the next couple of days, despite it uh, flying largely under the radar. Well, let's talk about why um, these uh, Internet businesses, retail um, businesses, um, shouldn't be taxed by the, the individual states. So I think it's important for our listeners to understand what it would mean if states could essentially apply taxes to retailers anywhere in the world, for that matter. Yeah, the, what we are concerned about is a world in which state tax power has no limit, that it can reach uh, as far and wide as the Internet. And that's a very scary thought. Uh, And I would point out, you know, everybody talks about wanting a level playing field, and and I want a level playing field, too. Uh, The good news is is that we have a level playing field today between online-based businesses and -and brick-and-mortar businesses. For every business today, regardless of your particular model, if you just sell online or in person or both, uh, the rules are the same. And the rules are if you are present in a state, if you have employees or a storefront or a warehouse, you have to contribute, uh, you have to pay uh, that state sales tax. Uh, and what we're worried about is a world in which uh, there is no tangible uh, connection like that, that, that states can just assert uh, tax power on, on anything under the sun and, and what kind of uh, damaging effect that would have, not just on Internet commerce and, and the uh, you know, Internet infrastructure, but uh, in individual and corporate income taxes as well. You know, there's no uh, there's not going to be many limits on states in that regard if uh, if this case goes the wrong way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the impact this would have. And, of course, that would be passed along to consumers. What might we expect if the Supreme Court sides with South Dakota? 
Well, it's pretty simple. You can expect uh, higher prices. You can expect less selection. One of the big, uh, you know, damaging impacts I think would be on those small and medium-sized internet retailers. You know, the larger businesses, uh, you know, Amazon already collects all across the country. Those folks can handle it because they have, you know, billions of dollars worth of revenue and can afford to pay all of the accountants and lawyers. Uh, the folks that can't are the people who are selling, you know, hand-knitted uh, scarves on Etsy. And, and, you know, they don't have the ability to comply with 12,000 taxing jurisdictions across the country the way a large Internet business might be able to. And so uh, that's the, those are the kinds of folks that we're concerned about, that they're going to be the ones who, who bear the brunt of this impact. Now, sometimes you can uh, hear oral arguments and what kinds of questions or comments that are made by Supreme Court justices to determine how they're likely, although it's somewhat speculative, how they're likely to rule. Any indication of the the kinds of uh, uh, questions they and concerns they might have in siding with South Dakota or rejecting um, the state's capacity to uh, essentially tax re- uh, regardless of where the retailer is located? Well, as you point out, uh, predicting what the Supreme Court is going to do is uh, difficult to say the least. And if I could do that accurately, I would be a much wealthier <laughs> man than I am today. Um, that said, you know, the court basically has two paths. There's one path uh, where they can reject South Dakota's law, say that the, the precedent that existed from 1992 on is a, a common sense standard that a, a business that's physically present in the state has to collect tax and one that isn't does not. Uh, and that's, you know, we think would protect taxpayers, protect the Internet uh, and remote retail. And then the other path, of course, is is validating South Dakota's law and, and really expanding the power of states to, to tax and to regulate across borders uh, and, you know, unleashing the power of, of audit and enforcement, uh, tax enforcement officials all across the Internet uh, doesn't sound too appetizing to me. And so those are the two paths that are before the court. We don't know, obviously, which one they'll take, but uh, it, it certainly is going to be something that a lot of uh, tax and, and business watchers are going to be paying very close attention to. Well, and of course, we know the Supreme Court is releasing decisions um, quite frequently now. They're at the end of their of their session, so we can expect to hear what they decided at any point now. Yeah, that's right. We uh, Thursday this uh, Thursday of this week is the next opportunity and. Ostensibly, at least the following Monday is the last day at which the court will be releasing opinion. So in a matter of days, we'll know which uh, which of those paths the court has taken and certainly will be responding and uh, and working to make sure that the taxpayers are protected and that we have an Internet ecosystem that can continue to thrive uh, moving into the future. Well, we'll certainly watch with interest what happens this Thursday and Monday of next week. Thank you so much for uh, for talking with us today. Of course. My pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Again, um, Andrew Moylan is executive vice president of the National Taxpayers Union Foundation. They and several other organizations uh, filed amicus briefs in this case, and the Supreme Court will determine whether or not their precedent set in 1992 will stand or if they will now set, uh, side with South Dakota that granted to itself uh, a power and authority it does not have, or at least not yet. Well, the the Internet, as we all know, it's vast, it's powerful, and it's borderless. This would be a major shift in how commerce is uh, conducted and the power that the states have to collect taxes if the Supreme Court uh, moves in the the state's favor. Um, This could be a a vehicle for the state uh, tax authority to become similarly vast, powerful, and borderless uh, with all kinds of, uh, of implications. So we'll... We'll keep our eyes open for that. Coming up, we're going to talk with Jeff Jimerson. As you probably know, Oregon Life United has been in the process of gathering signatures to place the issue of state-funded abortion on the Oregon ballot. Uh, You have until June the 30th for your ballots to be mailed, uh, and that gives you, you know, a significant amount of time to make sure that you've collected as many signatures as possible and that you've Um, Put that uh, in the mail. And if you'd like to check to see if you have signed the petition, it's been circulating for quite some time now. You might think, did I or didn't I? You can actually go to their website, stopthefunding.org, 
and check to see if you've signed it. You can also check to see if a spouse has signed it, if you know that uh, they would uh, would have done so if given the opportunity. Anyway, that's a great website to get updates, materials. And if you're looking to uh, to get a petition uh, sent to you so that you can send it right back, uh, you can get more details about that as well as the uh, specifics on the issue. Jeff Jimerson will be joining me. He's with Oregon Life United. We'll talk about the uh, effort to uh, put this state funding of abortion initiative on Oregon's ballot. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Three important numbers to keep in mind. 127,000, that's the number of signatures that have been collected so far. 150,000, that's the number needed. And June the 30th, that's the date that your uh, petitions must be mailed by. Well, joining us to uh, bring us up to date on the effort of Oregon Life United to put an initiative on the uh, Oregon ballot to stop state funding of abortion is Jeff Jimerson. Thank you so much for uh, for talking with us once again. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Georgine. Well, I know that you and others have been tirelessly working toward putting this issue on the Oregon ballot. And as I mentioned a moment ago, um, at least the last I heard, 127,000 signatures have been uh, gathered. But you're looking for 150,000 that have to be mailed by June the 30th. Explain why the 150,000 number is so important. Yeah, yeah, we're so close. So yes, people don't always realize that, you know, the state sets minimum numbers that are required. And in our case, it's 117,000. 578 valid signatures, but the problem is when we turn in our sheets, there are going to be people who have signed who are not registered to vote. There'll be mistakes with the volunteer circulators. There'll be people who have signed twice, and so we get penalized for all of these things. So we need to give ourselves a really good cushion so we're not going to come up short, and that's why we've set a goal of 150,000. That's about a 20% cushion. And uh, we're we're hopeful and confident that we're going to be able to get that done in time. Well, and uh, while time is short, uh, it's uh, imminently doable from this point. Uh, what is it, the twentieth through the thirtieth, to get those numbers uh, to get those numbers up? Now, in fact, you have a, a link on your website that can help you determine: Did I sign that petition or didn't I? You can look that up so that you're not one of those statistics that ends up being tossed. <laughs> what, how can yeah. listeners find out if they signed it uh, to make sure if they haven't, they can? Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool tool. We. You know, as, as petitions are mailed to us, and, and by the way, this is an all-volunteer effort, yeah. and we have approximately 7,000 people who have gathered two or more signatures already. So when those are mailed to us, we process them and put them into our software system, and uh, that allows other folks to check to make sure they have signed or not. And so, yeah, the website that we send people to is www.stopthefunding.com. Dot org stop the funding dot org and yeah you can just type in your first and last name and and instantly find out if you've signed already um, you know we've been circulating this petition for about fourteen months now mm. so it's it's really easy to forget if you've signed it or not yeah and the thing that we found is often a spouse will say oh yeah I signed that but their husband or wife hasn't and so you can go ahead and plug their names in. And and that's just a really easy way to get signatures quickly is to type in the names of, of the voters in your household. Now, I mentioned the date, uh, June the 30th. That's the last date that you can mail your, your, your signatures, the petition in, and make sure that it actually gets to you in time for it to be included. If you mail it after that, you can't be certain that it will, in fact, arrive and that those signatures will be counted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Our our actual deadline to get everything checked and pre-verified and delivered to the elections office in Salem is July 6th, but it's going to take us several days to do that there at the end. So that's why we've set that date of June 30th. Um, you know, if, 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 you know, we've also got the, the July 4th holiday, which is going to cut a mailing yeah. day out of that week. So yeah, we really, really want to encourage um, everyone to get them in the mail by then 
And if not, um, we could we could talk about ways of getting them hand delivered or whatnot. But hopefully, um, they can get in the mail early as possible. Yeah, the easiest thing is just just make sure you get it in the mail by the thirtieth. Make sure that everyone in your household has signed it. Uh, if you have uh, permission of the leadership of your church, make sure that people there are aware of it and have had the opportunity to sign it. Uh, your pro life neighbors and. The truth is there are people who wouldn't self-identify as pro-life who support the idea that this, the state shouldn't be funding abortion, even if they're uh, in favor of it. So don't hesitate to ask people you're not sure of. Um, fill out a page with the signatures this week and put them in the mail because we are just that close to getting this question on the ballot. And that has not been the case in the state of Oregon for decades. So I commend you and the uh, 7,000 or however many volunteers you have that have been working on this for months uh, to give Oregonians an opportunity to say yay or nay. We want to continue funding abortion in our state or no. We think this is something that uh, the state of Oregon taxpayers should not be required to do. Uh, So we want to uh, be as successful at uh, getting that question on the ballot as we possibly can. Now, this really began because you uh, you are a man of conviction. And while most people would simply say "Ah, this is too big a a thing to even attempt, um, you felt called to move forward. How do you feel at this point, seeing how close you are uh, to succeeding at doing what God called you to do? And that is to give Oregonians this opportunity. Well, it, I tell you what, it feels a lot better right now than it did uh, this time a, a few years ago <laughs> when when we were coming up short. You know, it, you know, we we attempted this in 2012, and then again in 2014, as you know. And um, yeah, yeah, it feels it feels better, but honestly, I'm not I'm not feeling that comfortable yet. Uh, we we really need to give ourselves a good cushion. Yeah. So, you know, we've done some things here at the end. Um, We've sent out a lot of petitions, and, and by the way, if anyone wants petitions, you know you can easily request those through our website. But we've been mailing out a lot of sheets, and so now it's just a matter of you know getting those um, completed and back to us. So it's in a lot of ways out of you know my hands and yeah. the hands of our leadership team. We're just trusting that um, those those sheets won't get lost on a coffee table somewhere or or forgotten about. So if you know that you received a, a, a petition, you don't know where it is, you don't know for sure you sent it back, could you investigate that today so that you can determine whether or not, you, you know, you've mailed it back in and where it is and make sure the people you know want to sign it, have the opportunity to sign it and get that back in the mail. Again, 127,000 signatures have been collected so far. The goal is 150,000 in order to have that uh, cushion and to get those mailed no later than June the 30th. Now, Jeff, I uh, once again, I want to thank you for your tireless efforts uh, to make this opportunity available for Oregonians and encourage our listeners uh, to do all that they can to make sure that their petitions are back where they belong. And that's with Oregon Life United, uh, mailed no later than June the 30th. Thank you so much, friend. Amen. I appreciate it. Amen, Georgine. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Again, Jeff Jimerson uh, with Oregon Life United, a humble man who has worked so long and so hard on this effort to put this issue on Oregon's ballot. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Ginger Hubbard. The book is simply titled, I Can't Believe He Just Said That, Biblical Wisdom for Taming Your Child's Tongue. Yeah, it's actually possible. We're going to look at what the scriptures have to say about it. I want to thank James Blind for engineering and producing today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.